This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. we got a good show coming up here. Ben Gessling covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. will join me here in just a little bit to talk through the Vikings general manager search. Two interviews, two second interviews, one today, one on Wednesday, should bring some clarity to that search. And perhaps uh, later this week, we will know who the next general manager of the Vikings will be. And that will help pave the way for knowing who the new head coach will be because the new general manager will have a hand in that hiring. So some good insights from Ben into that process and the sticky salary cap situation and what it might mean for that next general manager. Patrick Royce joins me for a bonus segment talking about the big brawl 50 years ago today between the Gophers men's basketball team and the Ohio State basketball team. Um, just Royce was there. Just some great storytelling from Patrick. So I hope you enjoy that. And an update on sports gambling in Wisconsin. It is coming to Western Wisconsin. What does that mean for Minnesota? But first, what did I miss? Wild, huge scoring output on Monday night. Beat Montreal eight to two. Third straight win for Minnesota. Um, you know, just. Want to talk a little bit about just the offensive output from this team and the style being played by Dean Evison's team. Now, I think Royce and I have talked about this before on the podcast, but just how surprised he was, just given what he thought he knew about Dean Evison coming in, that he thought it would be, you know, another one of these coaches that wants to win three to two or two to one. That has not been the case. They skate up and down, they they pressure, they they get it from all four lines, and that was on display on uh, on Monday in that 8-2 to two win. Um, Wild now 149 goals on the season. That is tied for third in the National Hockey League, getting it from a lot of different sources. Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, and of course, Kirill Kaprizov. But, uh, you know, some unlikely sources contributing to a lot of this offense, and that is the way you want it to be. If you like offense, this is a good time to be a Minnesota sports fan. The Timberwolves in the month of January have the best offensive efficiency in the entire NBA, by the way, 117.8 points per 100 possessions. They play on Tuesday night in Portland, start of a three-game road trip out west. Portland struggling uh, a little bit now that Damian Lillard is out with with after having surgery. Portland, not the team they've been in the past. And the Wolves, you know, having we're having some offensive problems earlier in the season. People were like, well, why is the defense carrying this team? What's going on here? Um, now the offense is catching up. Number one in January, back to middle of the pack for the season. If you're looking for a reason they stayed in this thing uh, until now, I think it was the defense, but the offense starting to catch up. So if you are a fan of offense, which I think most of you are, this is a great time to be watching the Wild. This is a great time to be watching the Wolves. And, uh, you know, just a, a reminder that these two teams are going pretty well right now and are definitely worth watching whenever you get a chance. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined right now by Ben Gessling, covers the Vikings, of course, for the Star Tribune. Ben, I'm sure we'll talk about this even more on Access Vikings later this week, but we need to kind of catch up on these general manager coaching searches with the Vikings because 
So I think this is a pretty big week, at least for the GM search. They've got two second interviews scheduled Tuesday and Wednesday. And we probably would hesitate to call those two finalists necessarily, but there's certainly, you know, when you get a second interview, it probably implicates or, you know, it suggests that they're getting closer to a decision. Um, maybe give us a kind of a lay of the land on where things stand right now and how soon we, we might know who their next general manager is. Yeah, it's certainly getting serious. I, these two guys are, I don't know if they'll be the only finalists. I think at the moment that is the case. Um, and I, I think when you get to a second interview, you're probably talking about the only thing left you have to do is decide whether to offer the job. And I, I certainly think they've been, from everything I've heard, they were very impressed with both of these candidates, Ryan Poles from the Chiefs and Kwesi Adolfo Mensah from the Browns. These two guys stuck out in the process for them. I, I think they're the top two candidates on the board for them. And I would expect that one of them is going to get an offer. Now, the question, especially with polls, is going to be, does he take it or is there another offer? He is still in the mix. He did two interviews with the Giants who did not hire him. Obviously, he was one of their finalists. He is doing a second interview with the Bears. So he has other irons in the fire, and it's not a guarantee that the Vikings would get him. I, you could certainly make a very strong case that the Vikings have the better job unless you like Justin Fields. So that could factor into the thinking, I suppose, for him and what he decides to do if, in fact, he is offered one or both of these jobs. But, yes, I, I think all indications are that these two guys are your finalists or you're certainly the front runners at this point. And uh, I would expect very, very strongly that one of these next two is the GM. Remind me of the order of interviews. Who's who's going Tuesday and who's going Wednesday? Oh, I have to remember this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Adolfo Mensa is Tuesday and Poles is Wednesday. Poles, of course, coming off of uh, a busy playoff weekend with the wild AFC divisional playoff game last night. And then, of course, the Chiefs back in the AFC title game on Sunday. But uh, yeah, that's that's your order for the week. I think it's very possible that we know who the GM is by Thursday. I, I think you go through those and you you make your decision probably from there. And and uh, if one of those guys is offered the job and accepts it, we could be on to the coaching search uh, by, or at least the, the final steps of the coaching search, I should say, by later in the week. I mean, both candidates certainly very qualified, you know, polls coming from the Chiefs, um, Adolfo Menza coming from the Browns. Um, stylistically, or like, how, how do you think one would run the team differently than the other? Or do we know enough about them to kind of guess at how, how things might, you know, what they might be looking for based on what candidate they choose out of this, out of these, out of these two, if, the, if that's the direction they go? Yeah, I mean, they're quite a bit different in that, at least in their backgrounds. And that's probably the most interesting thing here. Adolfo Mensa is from a very almost strictly analytics background, uh, basically came from play, played basketball at Princeton. So did not come from the football world, so to speak. He's not a quote unquote football guy uh, to the extent that we care about that. But he basketball player at Princeton, got a degree in economics. Uh, worked on Wall Street trading energy derivatives. So almost much more of a, a path to the front office that you've seen in baseball, seen in basketball, not as much in the NFL. But he went from there to work for the 49ers for, I think, about seven years and then went from there to the Browns as the Browns have kind of built out a, 
an analytics forward front office with Andrew Barry and, and of course, Kevin Stefanski being the head coach there. Um, if he gets the job, you're looking at a very different way of going about it than you've seen probably with Rick Spielman and probably any GM before Rick Spielman. The Vikings have gotten more interested in using analytics um, in the past few years, but Spielman was still a scout. Spielman came up in that world. It's always going to be the film, trust your eyes above everything else, and then analytics can kind of supplement a lot of those things. If it is Adolfo Mensa, you pair him with a lot of the scouts that are still in the Vikings front office, Jamal Stevenson, Ryan Munnins, Reed Burkhart, kind of on down the line from there, and you build it that way. If it's Ryan Poles, he is a very much uh, the traditional sort of scouting background, basically was an offensive lineman at Boston College, then went to a graduate assistant job there, and then has worked for the Chiefs his entire career in the NFL, kind of climbed up through the college scouting ranks, um, probably earned some stripes from a, a certain pick the Chiefs made in the draft um, around 2017 or so. I, I'm sure that probably helped his case and uh, has continued to, to rise through the personnel department through there. So you have kind of the analytics guy and the scout that was very much raised in the football world. And um, yeah, two different approaches to the job and, and probably would signal a lot about where the Vikings are going to go, depending on which one they hire. Whichever one they do hire, whether it's one of those two or, you know, a surprise, uh, yeah, I suppose they could still throw a curveball at us, especially if, if these guys decide to go somewhere else. But wh whoever gets this job, as we've been talking about, will have a interesting, you know, set of decisions to make, which you outlined um, in a story over the weekend, just a, a good, smart look at, the Vikings cap situation, you know, some of the big questions, obviously the Kirk Cousins question that we've, we've talked about plenty. Um, you know, it, it's, it's another, it's kind of a Rob Brzezinski question. So let's play, let's play this one right here while we have the moment. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's going to be assuming Rob Brzezinski is part of this staff still, which I, I would hope he would be based on his yep. knowledge of the cap. Um you know, what, what do you see as some of the biggest, you know, kind of front burner decisions that whoever comes into this job is going to have to grapple with, especially, you know, salary cap wise? Well, front burner decision number one is Kirk Cousins. I mean, a $45 million cap number, you have to decide if you were going to do, I mean, you have three routes you could take with him. You could trade him and basically end up eating $10 million, probably a little bit more of it to, to entice somebody to take the, the rest of the contract. But you could clear cap space with him. You could say, we're going to play it out and ride him out for one more year and then let him hit free agency or at least make a decision about him after that. Or you could try to extend him again and drop the cap number for this year as an effort to get some of that $13 million or so that you need to cut before the start of the league year in mid-March. So He's decision number one, but he's not the only one. You have a big decision to make here on Daniil Hunter, who has an $18 million roster bonus due, I believe, March, I want to say, whatever the third day of the league I think year March is. March 18th, maybe, March 18th. what you wrote. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, they got to make a decision on him because he has wanted a new contract. That was a big issue last year, but he's played six games in the last two years. He's been injured quite a bit. Still is as much of a physical freak as you're going to find at that position when he's healthy. And you have every reason to think that he could come back and be healthy again. But what kind of leverage is he going in with? What kind of uh, good faith commitment does he want, even though he hasn't been on the field very much? That's going to be a big decision. 
you have to make a decision, I think, on Adam Thielen, uh, which comes with all sorts of calculations about goodwill. If you're going to if you get rid of uh, Adam Thielen or, or possibly sort of truncate Adam Thielen's time in Minnesota. But he has an almost 17 million dollar cap number this year. He'll be 32 later this season. He's certainly not wide receiver one anymore. So as effective as he still is, you have to start to plan for paying Justin Jefferson. You have to re, you know, sort of reallocate based on Adam Thielen's role in the offense. I would expect you have to address that. Harrison Smith, $13 million, even though he just signed the extension. Uh, Eric Kendricks is $13.5 million. I, I think Kendricks is probably a lower question mark on the list, but it's still there. And then the other one to me is Dalvin Cook. Does somebody else come in here and say, you know what? We don't need to pay a running back a $12 million cap number when he's got a lot of tread on the tires already. And that position is replaceable. I, you could see somebody else looking at that differently than the Vikings have in the past. Cook is still one of the best running backs in the NFL, but plays a position that a lot of teams have said, we're not going to pay this level of money for. So uh, a lot of decisions to make there, probably Michael Pierce, there's going to be a, a choice to make on him as well. But the interesting thing is it, it's just it's not a roster that has a lot of four and five million dollar kind of mid-range players to get rid of. So a lot of the decisions you are making are about um, guys who have been mainstays on this roster for a long time. You have some fan favorites in there, certainly in terms of Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, probably Eric Hendricks, Harrison Smith. Um, a lot of decisions that they have to make are on this kind of group of nine veterans that have like $150 million or so of cap space locked up just between those players. Most of the roster, most of the cap space is tied up in those guys. And then you have most of the rest of the roster on minimum level contracts. So a lot of decisions to make about that and what you want to look like in 2022. Mark Wealth has talked about, we want to be super competitive, um, if you're going to be super competitive, you're probably going to need to keep a lot of this roster together. And if you're going to do that, it makes your cap situation a little more difficult. It does. A couple more thoughts for you, Ben Gessling, you know, one, something you just said struck me as particularly interesting, like how, how a new set of eyes values some of these players, particularly because, you know, a, they might value positions differently and B, they they didn't draft any of these players. They are not, you know, beholden to, or, you know, want to continue to look good because these are players they drafted in, in a certain way. And I don't know if that necessarily happens, but I think it's human nature that a player you picked and it's, it's been in your organization is someone you might be more inclined to keep. And then another, another someone else comes in and they have no ties to any of these players. Is that, you know, does that make some of these decisions, I don't say easier, but, but maybe a little bit more calculated than personal. I think it could. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at, the guys that the Vikings pay that a lot of teams have said, we're not going to spend big money here. And those specifically would be running backs and linebackers, because you have a lot of teams that would say in a four, three defense, we're not going to go spend big money on linebackers that don't rack up sacks. And we're not going to spend on running backs when we have a timeshare, the Vikings have gone very much in a different direction in part because of that, that was the identity that Mike Zimmer wanted his teams to have. And that was the identity that Rick Spielman agreed with enough, at least I I think agreed with in a lot of ways, but probably agreed with at least enough to accommodate that with draft picks, contract allocations, et cetera. Somebody else could look at it and say, this is not how we want to build this team. We want to be 
in a position where we can go to rebuild the secondary. I mean, that's going to have to be a big job for somebody to try to restock the corners and figure out how you're going to do that. Do you want the money to go sign somebody in the, as a corner? You're going to have to pay a lot to do that. And if you're going to do that, you can't probably be paying a middle linebacker $10 million to $11, $12, $13 million a year. You probably can't be paying a running back that much. There's a lot of these decisions, I think, that, like you said, were made probably in the past. I mean, Anthony Barr has like a $10 million cap number for inter, just in terms of dead money this year. And that the decisions they made on Anthony Barr, I think, are as much – a reflection of sentimentality in the past as anybody else on the roster. And they're going to still pay for that this year, even if Anthony Barr is not here or is back on a very cheap contract. So um, yes, the change in the front office and the change in the relationships with these players, I think certainly can make a big difference. It, it may have to be that surgical for them to get back to the point where their cap is in a good spot. They, they have some, they're not in as bad a shape as, as a few other teams, certainly not anywhere near as bad a shape as the Packers are. But um, I think they have the fourth most cap space that they need to clear before the start of the league year. So they certainly have some work to do. Final thought for you, Ben. Um, You know, we've acknowledged that a lot of these decisions will depend on who is making these decisions. Um, That said, do you have any kind of crystal ball into how they, how they go about this, how they kind of, you know, navigate this, ownership desire to still be competitive in 2022 with some of these kind of cap questions, you know, you know, cousins being the the biggest question, like, do you, if you had to, to, to guess or take an educated, you know, approach at this, how, how do you think they even go about this? Like if you were polls, for example, how, how would you go about this? If you got the job? I think, I mean, we talk about the phrase managing up, a lot in, in corporate culture, I think there's probably going to have to be a little bit of that because the big decision, I mean, if you trade cousins, you're not necessarily in a spot to be quote unquote, super competitive, unless you find the right bridge quarterback, or you find somebody in the draft that you like in a draft that at least at first blush, doesn't look like it's the best quarterback draft ever. I think the cap sensible decision is probably to trade cousins to try to get something for him, get a couple draft picks. They don't have a fourth round pick because of the Chris Herndon trade. So restocking a little bit there, clearing some cap space. I think that makes sense. You are going to have a hard time being competitive without a good quarterback. As we we saw over and over and over this weekend, you have to have that guy. Cousins is probably not the guy to get you over the top. He certainly can make you competitive. So I think – if you're going to trade cousins, you're going to have to probably do a little bit of, of managing up there. But I've also heard that the Wilfs are getting a little tired of the, of the carousel with cousins. So maybe that won't be as hard of a sell as we think it is right now. Maybe that was just the thing that Mark Wilf said in a press conference that we probably shouldn't read that much into, but we have also seen the Wilfs try to field competitive roster just about every year they've owned the team. So um, I, I think the easy decision would be to trade cousins and probably try to move on from, another veteran or two and rebuild it from there. But uh, that would, I think, take a little bit of a, a discussion probably with ownership about what this year might mean if you do that. That's a good point. And we should know a little bit more probably in a few days if, yeah. if they really do move this quickly. If, if these two you know interviews Tuesday and Wednesday are kind of the, the last. And then, like you said, there are job offers to make and decisions to make on that end. So 
could be some interest at the end of this week. All of it will be reported on, of course, by Ben Gessling. Follow him, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Ben, thanks. We'll, we'll do this again soon. I'm sure we will. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Ben. And I have to say, I would imagine that both the traditional scouting approach and the analytics approach should both yield the same conclusion with Kirk Cousins, like Ben and I talked about, that they should be seeking a trade and not seeking an extension with Kirk Cousins. Special treat for you now. Patrick Royce will join me here in just a minute to talk about the brawl 50 years ago today that defined for a long time the Gophers men's basketball program, uh, that brawl with Ohio State. Royce was there and sets the scene for what happened and what the fallout from it was. All right, Patrick, before we go, you reminded me of an anniversary that is coming up on Tuesday, 50 years since the Ohio State Gophers brawl. You have more knowledge of this than I do. I was not quite yet born. I was maybe four or five <laughs> years off at four or five years off at that point. But uh, what uh, I've certainly heard a lot about it. Tell talk me through the <laughs> talk me through what you remember about that and just the this historical significance of that now 50 years ago. Uh, well, uh, it'll, it'll probably pop up in uh, a lot of the local media here and probably national too. reminder of the, the great disgrace of, uh, the university of Minnesota basketball that basically ruined Bill Musselman's, uh, image for life. Uh, I want to tell you what Musselman had done in his, he came in here, Mike, in 1971, 33 years old, 32 years old from yep. Ashland university he was the second choice they actually had a guy named cal luther who accepted the job from murray state looked at williams arena and went home called up and said give me my job back he didn't he thought it was such a dump and then they then they the runner-up was uh, mussy so they brought in bill from ashland university and uh, in ohio division three or two then i think division two and uh and they brought him in and the Gophers had averaged like 5,000 a game at home the year before. And he started, they didn't play the first game till December 1. And he started doing the pregame routine, the sweet Georgia Brown. They brought out players and they had a trickster named George Shower who kind of ran the whole thing. He was the metal lark lemon of the team and rode a unicycle and stuff like that. And it was like a, 12, 13 minute thing they did before the game. And Musselman practiced this with his players. It was a ball handling skit, and they were say, playing Sweet Georgia Brown. And, you know, we're rubes for stuff like that, man. The word got out. My father was uh, still around then, and he was. He hadn't gone to go for basketball game in 10 years. He never missed one. He thought it was the greatest thing ever. So, and then they turn out they're good. He brought in these Juco guys, Ronnie, Ron B. Hagan, uh, Bob Nix was the point guard, and he, Clyde Turner, who's still in town and was has been a great community guy. And uh, he brought them in. He had Jim Brewer, who was a great player. They had, they had good players. And he recruited Winfield from the Intermural. He was playing Intermural, and he had him on the team, too. So they had about seven guys. But by the time Ohio State comes, they're, uh, I think the Gophers were one game behind him. Ohio State was the conference favorite. And uh, it was a Tuesday night. And 
the NHL All-Star game was at Met Center that night. The NHL All-Star okay. game. And the entire Twin Cities media, all the TV guys and stuff, were at Williams Arena for the Ohio State game. That's how that's how much Musselman had captured the town. Uh, they'd had a game early in November. I think they started early. Their first conference game was uh, Indiana. And they jammed. This is when you could put 19,000 right. in Williams Arena. And they jammed it. And they had it next door in the uh, in the hockey arena on closed circuit too, because there was no TV, right? And sure. uh, and that Jim Brewer ended up blocking a shot at the buzzer of that Indiana game, January third, maybe something like that. And Knight chased the officials. They didn't call any foul. And Knight chased the officials down the steps. Knight was going crazy. He and Musselman had competed against each other at Ohio as high school guys. And hated each other. So anyway, that's all what was going on. So the place was crazy for Ohio State, right? And Fred Taylor was the Ohio State legendary coach. And Ohio State came in and there were, what, four or five minutes to go. And Ohio State was going to beat them. Ohio State was really good. They had a guard named Alan Horniak and they had Luke Whitty. And allegedly Luke Whitty had elbowed Bobby Nixon, the head of that near halftime and the gophers were all in there uh saying foul things about him during the halftime and making making threats and corky taylor was a really good guy uh, clyde fouls luke witty and knocks him to the floor late in the game and when corky taylor goes to pick him up he knees him in the groin when he picks him up and he goes back down to the floor and it's down at the far end of the floor from the gopher bench, which was used to be down at the other side. Okay. On the other end. And Ron B. Higgins comes out and comes running off and stomps on him. And, you know, it looked like he was stomping on his head. B. Higgins was high maintenance, to say the least. And now all hell breaks loose. The fight starts and fans start coming on the court. And I remember... I remember Bobby Nix and two, three other, and a bunch of fans chasing Horniak around the outside of the court. And Winnie, Winnie got in a couple of fights. I will say in, Win in Winfield's uh, defense, they were face to face. Okay. okay. And he smacked somebody. He didn't sucker punch anybody. He smacked one guy, knocked him down. One guy, I think one of the guys he hit ended up in the hospital with a concussion. And, and, uh, they called the game off. Anyway, all this nonsense. It took forever. Musselman was out running around trying to grab guys, but it was, you know, he was, I, I think he was on B. Hagen's back and B. Hagen was, you know, six foot nine. And, right. Uh, and uh, so it became a national scandal. Ohio, the Sports Illustrated, basically, I, haven't, I can't remember what the cover said, but a, a photo of the brawl was on the cover and Minnesota's shame or something like that. And, uh, uh, they forfeited that game and they, at that, when that game was over, there were two games behind Ohio state in the big 10 and, uh, and ended up winning the Ohio state went in the tank. Uh, they, they got their team back, but they were emotionally a wreck. Fred Taylor supposedly was incredibly depressed and, uh, the Gophers ended up winning the big 10. 
which was not universally celebrated, as you might uh, <laughs> as, you, as, you, as you might guess. Kent Youngblood in 2012, uh, Corky died of a uh, died from lung cancer, and Corky was a pretty good guy. He just I don't know, he just went nuts for a minute, and he died of lung cancer, and uh, and he called Clyde Turner. Kent was doing an obit on Corky. And Kent and Clyde said, you know, he and Luke Woody became friends. Yeah. And and uh, Kent did this great story on he got all of Luke Woody. He was like a very strong religious guy. He's, I think he's a preacher of some kind. And uh, this was 2012. And 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 uh, and they he talked about how they, you know, I think Clyde. Corky contacted him to apologize and this had happened years earlier and uh and for the last decade of their lives they, i think they'd visited each other and uh, and had, had become friends and forgiveness and, and apologies and all that stuff so it it was uh that was that was a great story that the that, that kenya blood uh, i was talking to him about it the other day because he just you know he was just going to write a routine obit about yeah. the about the about the battle and uh, and then he got this angle and and Clyde had Luke Whitney's phone number for some reason or something. I uh, somehow somebody had Luke Whitney's phone number and he got a hold of Luke Whitney and Luke Whitney talked about it and uh, yeah, it was not uh, it was uh, not uh, not not one of our prouder moments, but uh, I think all of us in the media were happy we were there instead of at the NHL All Star Game because it was a historic event. That's for sure. No, no doubt about it. Fifty years. I mean, that's yes. How would you, get you to... like to have been there and still be working, Mike? <laughs> would you wonder about yourself? Hey, would you the... wonder about yourself? Yeah, you got the best job in the world, Patrick. You can't <laughs> complain. Right. Come on, you got the best not, job in the world. I'm not complaining. I'm just wondering. <laughs> <I'm not complaining. laughs> well, we'll we'll see. I don't know. I don't know what my. I don't have a quite a version of that, but if I get to 50 years uh, and I say, wait, I was at that game 50 years ago and I'm still right. And then maybe I'll, uh, I'll remember this conversation at that very moment okay. right there, but I, I got one a ways last, to go. Yeah. One last thing. George Barton was a turn of the century sports, right? 1892. Okay. He was, when I came along, my dad used to talk about George Barton, right? Cause he was also a boxer at one time. <laughs> But he was in it. So I had this old book that I got someplace. It's George Barton, who wrote wrote this book in 1957 as he was wrapping up his career. So George Barton was around forever. And so it says on the back, back jacket, 53 years as a Twin City sports writer. I hit 53 last Labor Day. So I passed George Barton. All right. You did it. Not you did gonna it. Get, not going to get Sid, but I passed George Park. I, I knew I was crazy. <laughs> you never know, Patrick. Don't say never. We'll see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, All sir. Right. Good stuff. Anyway, Appreciate it. Always. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. We were, we were originally going to make that part of Monday's show, but we got talking on other stuff for too long, so decided to do it today just as well. Today is the anniversary, so love having some bonus. Roycey, always love having his perspectives on the current stuff, but especially the history stuff as well. Let's finish with the cooler sports gambling update, sports betting update. Wisconsin 
uh, changed its gambling compacts. The St. Croix casinos are now able to, pending a review, are able to have uh, legal sports wagering. That was announced late last month, and a 45-day review period should be just about over now. That means Turtle Lake, which is about an hour and a half from downtown Minneapolis, even closer to you know, the eastern and northern uh, suburbs will have legal sports wagering very soon. Another neighboring state of Minnesota to to offer that, putting even more pressure on Minnesota perhaps to pass something. And I hear cautious optimism is the word among legislat- among legislators who think that this might be the time that it passes in Minnesota. What form it takes is another question, but you know, one more state. Iowa's had it for a while now. Um, you know, you can go to Canada. There's different forms of it in South Dakota, North Dakota. You can do it a lot of different places. We will see if Minnesota follows suit. But the, the big headline here is that pretty soon, maybe even by the time the Super Bowl rolls around, you will be able to go to the Turtle Lake Casino in um, in Wisconsin, western Wisconsin, and place a legal sports wager. That will do it for today. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery. Special treat coming Wednesday. Expecting to have Brad Childress, former Vikings head coach, on the show to talk about a variety of things. Very topical, of course, with the Vikings in a coaching search right now. Thanks again for joining me. Back again on Wednesday. We'll see you then. 